0: Hey there, and welcome back. So glad to have you join us for this portion of our online church experience today. I want to ask you a question. Who is the strongest person that you have ever met? Just go ahead and throw that in the comments today. Who is the strongest person you've ever met? Uh, And, you know, I'm not going to give you any criteria. Maybe it's you're probably picturing physical strength. So let's go with that. But the strongest person that you've ever met, who would you say that is? Go ahead and throw that in there. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe to you, it was your dad. You know, he was the strongest person that I've ever met. Maybe it's like watching wrestling on TV and you think it's like Hulk Hogan or something like that. Uh, If we were to go into the super, uh, super, um, my goodness, superhero universe, you would think maybe like the Hulk. He's the strongest person that I've ever heard of or strongest being I've ever heard of. Well, today in our series, as we talk about the Book of Judges, We're going to talk about a strongest man that ever lived. And maybe you know this man. Maybe you've heard about him before. His name is, if you know his name, put it in the comments. His name is, I'll let you know in just a second. If you know it, throw it in the comments. Strongest man in the Bible that we know about. Strongest man that ever lived that we know about. In our series of of judges, we've titled it Only Abba. Because what we learn through every single judge, through out of the craziness of who they are, that their victories and their successes only happen because of the power, the presence, and the supernatural intervention of God's Holy Spirit. Only God can do what needs to be done to bring freedom and deliverance. Now, the judges that we talk about, they are not exactly examples of devotion to God or examples of, of holy individuals. But they do demonstrate to us God's faithfulness, because God, regardless of their experience of who they are, regardless of what they've done or continue to do, God has a plan that he needs to fulfill. And these are the people that are available to him to fulfill his plan. And God is always faithful. He is relentless in his love for his people. He's relentless in his love for you that God wants to do whatever he possibly can to fulfill the promise that he made, that he would send a savior, and that he would deliver his people. Judges were temporary leaders raised up by God to deliver his people, to deliver the Israelites. Now, some of them, like Othaniel and Deborah, you know, they are great examples. They're worthy to receive a little bit of praise because of their example. But there's others like the judge we're going to talk about today. There's others about some judges we've talked about previously, whose faults are renowned. Like, can't believe, based on who they are, what they've done, that God would actually choose to use them. Like, what are you thinking, God? Are you serious? Are, this is unbelievable. If you only knew what they did, you would not choose them. Well, of course, God already knows what he, they did. And yet he chooses to use them because he has a plan. The point is this, that God can use anyone for his purpose. And his purpose is that he uses... Would be, I can't talk. <laughs> The point is, is that God could use anyone for His purpose. The point is is that it doesn't matter the human condition. It doesn't matter on who they are. Is that God has a plan and He's got a purpose that He needs to be fulfilled, and He's going to do whatever He has to do. He's going to use whoever He has to use to see that plan come to fruition. Now He uses unlikely people all the time, and you see this throughout Scripture, throughout history. Even in today, God uses people that you would never expect to fulfill his plans and purposes. Now, the final books of Judges, and we're kind of getting to the end of this series as we get up to Easter. The final book of Judges portrays some pretty crazy things. Uh, Israel, we see, has kind of become a little bit more of an anarchy and lawlessness. Now, why is that important to make note of? Well, The Israelites are known as people of the law. They have more laws than anybody else. Over 600 laws that God has given them from the time of Moses through Deuteronomy as they were nomads in the wilderness. They are known as people of the law. And over the last number of years, we see that the Israelites have gone as people as slaves to nomads in the wilderness, sort of led by tribal leaders. So now moving into the promised land, establishing the nation that God has called them to be, that has planned for them to be. And they're in this really difficult season in their history. It's you know transitions we talked about a few weeks ago. They're always difficult. It's a change in behavior, a change in mindset. And they're trying to establish a new holy nation. And we see them failing miserably at this moment. And so they become lawless. They become anarchists, so to speak. People who are, are of the law, that are known for the law, are turning away from God's law. They begin to give into relative morality. What does that mean? Well, that means simply this. And we see this phrase repeated so many times in the book of Judges. That the people do what was right in their own eyes. They base the morality on what the majority thinks is good or right, as opposed to what God says is good or right for them. God gave them these laws not to harm them, not to hold them back, not to confine them. Remember, God is the one that freed them from slavery. God is the one that freed them from bondage. He delivered them so that he could use them to be a holy nation. And so he sets up these laws to protect them, to prepare them, to be a blessing to the nations. Not to restrict them or hold them back or hold them captive. That's not what God wants. That's what God freed them from. And yet they've totally decided that whatever feels good, do it. Whatever feels good, whatever seems right, whatever looks like to be a good idea, as long as the majority of people agree, As long as the leaders and and the majority of us agree that it's okay for you to do that, then you go ahead and do that. That will be the the law, that will be our standard of living. Now let me just tell you, every time that Israel does that, that is not the plan that God had for their lives. God's plan was so much better than that. And every single opportunity they get, they fail in their mission. And so what does God do? He sends them little saviors. He sends them glimmers of hope throughout this season of lawlessness. He sends them judges to deliver them from their enemies. Now today, in case you haven't figured it out, the strongest man in the Bible is Samson. That's right. If you have your phone and you're watching on your phone or iPad today, uh, in the comments, just show me the strong arm emoji. Would you, strongest man in the Bible? Samson. Go ahead and throw that in there. We're going to read about him today. And we're going to start in Judges chapter 13. Uh, And this is what it says. Again, meaning this is not the first time that has happened. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Say 40 years in your room there. God delivered them. You know, it's funny that we use the word delivered there because we typically refer to delivery, meaning... We're going to deliver you out of something bad into something good. Well, in fact, in this moment, they do what's right in their own eyes. And they put down their guard. They just kind of go, whatever, God. And they're delivered into the hands of the enemy. Kind of the opposite of what they want. Well, actually, it is kind of what they want. What we learned in this season of this 40 years of living with the Philistines The Israelites get really comfortable. They get really comfortable being oppressed. They get really comfortable living their lives the way the Philistines live their lives. Sure, they might have to pay some sort of tax. Sure, they might have to give in to what the Philistines do. But that's okay. As long as they're comfortable and unbothered and untouched, it doesn't matter. But here's the thing that's not what God had planned for their lives. This is not why God gave them the promised land, the land that they were living in that was promised to Abraham. This was not them living the life that God had ordained for them. And so God needs to have a plan because out of God's plan is much bigger than this generation of Israelites. God's plan is much bigger than their misbehavior. Misbehavior? Whatever. God's plan is bigger than this moment. And so God is going to provide, yet again, someone to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines, even though they don't want to be saved. Kind of a crazy moment. I think many of us, we are so comfortable, especially in North America, because from a global perspective, life is pretty good, even in a pandemic. I think there are so many of us that we would rather live in the comfort of our lives then do what is right in the eyes of God. And I would say, if I were to look into my own life, and I were to say, Spirit of God, would you search my heart, the prayer that David prayed, if you were to search my mind, I, I would imagine there are things and comforts in my own life that God would go, I see you're a little bit too comfortable in this, Gary. I think it's time you let that go, because what I have for you is much better than the comfort you're feeling now. You might have to go through a season or even a lifetime of discomfort. But the plan I have for you is far more fulfilling than the comforts of this world. Israel got really comfortable living with the Philistines. Now let's just talk about who the Philistines are for a minute. The Philistines, they're not really nice people. In fact, they're just people. Because apart from God, people are not really nice people. If that's just the fact that's out there. Apart from God, people are not really that nice. Uh, you could look at the fruit of the Spirit, and it's kind of like this perfect image of who Jesus was, what is good, noble, pure, right, and all of these kind of standards. And the opposite of that is where we find ourselves when we are apart from God, when we're full of sin. We become liars, we become thieves, we become cheats, we become deceitful, we become violent, we become angry. And we're going to learn today that our judge, Samson, is a lot of these things. He is a violent man. He is an arrogant man. He is a deceitful man. He's a promiscuous man. It just goes on and on and on. And yet through this experience, God's saying, look, I got a better plan for your life. I want to use you. But these are the Philistines are. They are, the Philistines are not God's chosen people. They don't know God. You cannot expect the Philistines to live by God's laws if they don't even know who God is. And so they engage in self-preservation. They have their own false gods. They have their own idols. And to appease their gods and their idols, to protect themselves, they do things that are contrary to what God has designed for human life. Now, God created man and woman. He created them to live. And what do the Philistines do? They begin to sacrifice their children to appease the anger of whatever God they worship. That is not what God wants us to do for our lives. I don't care how much your children drive you crazy. God will never ask you to sacrifice them. In fact, we see... I shouldn't say never. Go back and read the story of Abraham. He says to Abraham, "I need you to go sacrifice your son." And Isaac is kind of going, "Hey, Dad, what are you doing?" And uh, God says to Abraham, "And you know, we're going to build this altar, or we're going to build this altar." And and uh, you know, we didn't bring any animal to sacrifice. And Abraham says to his son Isaac, "It's okay. God's going to provide the sacrifice." Meanwhile, in the back of his mind, he knows the sacrifice is his son. And so Isaac goes, okay, I trust you, dad. I trust that God will provide a sacrifice. And he repeats the words back to him. And sure enough, in the moment where Abraham's ready to sacrifice his son, God provides an alternative. And so that's what God does. God doesn't want us to sacrifice our children because God has already provided the sacrifice to appease the anger that he has towards sin. And his name is Jesus. It was his own son who is holy and blameless and perfect. God gave himself. He doesn't want us to sacrifice our own lives. He doesn't want us to to sacrifice our children. God has provided the sacrifice. And the Israelites are fully okay with endorsing and living in harmony with people who don't even know God. They are completely comfortable. And so when something gets too comfortable, you have to find a disruptor. You have to find someone that's ready to raise a little... What's a good word there? Fill in the blank. Raise a little. You know, you can use your imagination. It's got to find someone to disrupt the status quo. we got to institute change. And so we, we've got to... Obviously, what I used to do was they would fall into the hands of the enemy. They would be oppressed and they would cry out to me. And they would realize the error of their ways. And then they would have a deliverer and they would go about their ways. They'd serve the Lord for a while. And then they would fall back into this pattern again. Well, this time they got comfortable. They didn't care that they were oppressed. And so God says, I need a disruptor. I need someone who's arrogant. I need someone who's deceitful. I need someone who's violent. And why not just throw someone that's promiscuous in the way? Because that's going to be the the spark that's going to ignite the fire that we need. And so here we go. Samson, Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them to the hands of the Philistines. All right. We see this father and this mother or this husband and this wife. The wife gets a visit from an angel and says, you're going to have a son who's going to begin to deliver your people from the Philistines. And she goes, okay, well, that's great. Goes, tells her husband. Again, the angel of the Lord appears to them. And the angel of the Lord, she gets her husband and says to her husband, honey, the angel is here again. And he begins to have a conversation. And they have this conversation and they invite them to have a meal, not really quite realizing who they're talking to. And the angel says, look, I'm not human. I'm an angel of God, of the Lord. Why don't you provide a sacrifice? And so they do, they take a sacrifice and they sacrifice it to God. And in that moment, there's a great light and they realize that they've had a supernatural encounter with God himself. And so they are a little bit fearful. They're a little bit afraid. And so they bow down on their faces, And the Lord lets them live. And so they take that as a sign that God truly has honored their sacrifice. And they are in a position that they are ready and willing to be used from God. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But remember, what's really cool about this moment is that Samson's parents, they don't just ignore it. They actually ask the angel, Okay, you've said that God wants to use our son. What must we do? Who will our son be? in order to be used by you. And he lays out a blueprint. He says, your son will be a Nazarene. He will take take this vow to not drink alcohol, to not be in anything that is unclean. And he will never cut his hair. He will take this vow so that he can be the person that God wants him to be. Well, as you fast forward through the story of Samson, we learn very quickly that he is kind of rebellious. Remember, he's a disruptor, so he doesn't even listen to what his parents say. In fact, he, he goes and he wants to go marry a girl that's a Philistine, and his dad says to him, why don't you marry one of our own kind? Hey, why don't you just keep it in the family, you know, kind of keep it normal and what we're used to. That's a little uncomfortable. Little do we know that God is actually going to use this moment to begin his process of disruption. And as much in goodwill as his father is, Samson is just too arrogant, And he's just too rebellious to go, I don't care, dad, get me that woman. Long story short, he goes through the process and he's on his way to the wedding feast. And he's somehow separated from his parents and out jumps a lion out of the vineyard. This lion jumps out at him. And in that moment, we see the spirit of God come on Samson. And he tears the lion apart like a farmer tearing apart a goat for a sacrifice. He just rips the lion Part, kills it instantly. Just an incredible moment of God's strength. And he kind of goes, wow. Like, look at me. Look what I just did. That was nuts. And he doesn't really tell anybody about it. So he goes to the wedding. And as they're to go to prepare, prepare to marry this girl who he saw with his eyes, who you know, was very attractive to him. And though... His parents arranged the wedding and so the next time they're going as he's coming back he sees that the lion has decomposed rather quickly and instead of maggots and flies which you would normally see with the decomposing, decomposing corpse of a, or a carcass, he sees bees and out of those bees they're already producing honey inside this lion and so Samson being defiant not really caring about his vow decides to defile himself, touch an unclean animal, takes the honey, gives it to his parents, eats some himself, and it's the sweetest honey he's ever seen. The week of his wedding shows up, he goes to marry this Philistine girl, and they send 30 friends to watch over Samson, to kind of keep their eye on him, because he's a foreigner, married a Philistine, and they're a little bit uncomfortable about this situation. And he decides, out of his arrogance, he wants to play a little game with them. And he's the only one that will know the answer to the riddle that he could possibly know. And it frustrates them to no end. And so days go by and they say to Samson's new wife, they say to her, you must go and convince him to give you the answer to the riddle so that we can embarrass him and get rid of this guy. And if you don't do that, we're going to kill your family and we're going to kill you. So you better do what we say. And Samson, having the eye for the lady, being the promiscuous man that he was, finally gives her the answer to the riddle. And she runs off and she tells the man the answer. And Samson comes back all arrogant and says, Hey guys, have you figured out the riddle yet? And they give him the answer and it makes him furious. He goes and he kills 30 Philistines from another village, brings them their clothes because that was the agreement that he would owe them. And he's so mad at them, he storms off and he leaves. Finally, he decides, I'm going to go back and get my wife, and we're going to start our life together. When he goes back to the village, he discovers that his wife has been married off to somebody else, and it infuriates him. So much so, he grabs 300 foxes, he ties them together, puts a torch between their tails, and he burns the fields of the Philistines. Completely burns them, shatters their livelihood, and so they're mad, rightfully so. And so he runs back to his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, and they are mad. They are saying, Samson, what are you doing? You have, you have disrupted our peace that we've had with the Philistines. They are going to kill us. They're going to do evil things to us. What have you done? We're going to kill you now. And Samson goes, hey, guys, don't kill me. How about you do this instead? Tie my hands together and just turn me over to the Philistines. Let them deal with me. And so they say, you know, this could work. They tie him up. They throw him out to the Philistines. And in that moment, he gets to the Philistines. He finds the jaw of a goat. No, sorry. He finds the jaw of a donkey. And he kills thousands of Philistines in that moment. (laughs) He kills thousands of Philistines. And then, being the arrogant man that he is, this is what he says. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, in Hebrew, I don't speak Hebrew. This actually is is quite the poem. It's quite the moment of arrogance that is being shown. And if you read the King James Version of the Bible, we know that a donkey is called an ass. And so basically saying, hey, look, I took the jawbone of an ass and I made an ass out of all of you. All right, yeah, Pastor Gary just said the word ass in church. It's okay. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Since when did we actually believe that he's the servant? It's just crazy, his attitude, arrogance once again. And he says, now that I've done this great victory, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up a hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. And then it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And through this moment, we see that things are a little bit quieter, a little bit peaceful. We don't really know so much that happens in that 20 years. But we know that a process of disruption has begun. God does not want the Israelites to be living in harmony with the Philistines because they are no longer fulfilling the purpose that God has called them to live. They are actually trying to disrupt God's plans. And if we know anything about God, is that His plan never fails. Because His plan is covered in love and God's love never fails. We know that God is faithful in every circumstance. No matter what we face, we know that God will be faithful. No matter how unfaithful we are, no matter what road we choose to take, God is always faithful. And when we are willing, it says that we are willing to confess and forsake our sin. If we're willing to call on the name of the Lord, call on Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he's willing to cleanse us, to make us clean, to deliver us from evil. I mean, that's Jesus' prayer, right? In the Lord's, in the, in the, uh, in the Our Father prayer, and he teaches us how to pray. Lord, deliver us from evil. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our trespasses. Deliver us from evil. We know that God is faithful and just. And sometimes things need to be disrupted in our lives. Now, he has given us the incredible power of choice. He wants us to choose him. He's not going to force us to serve him. He wants us to choose him because the plans that he has for your life, the plans that he has for my life are far greater than anything we could ever manufacture on our own. He wants us to do what's right in his eyes because his plans for us are good. He wants us to do what's right in his eyes, not our own, because the plans he has for us are good. 20 years go by and Samson begins to get a little bit restless. He hasn't killed Philistines in a while says in verse 6, chapter 16, verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Remember, he's kind of got an eye for the ladies. So what does he do? He spends the night with the prostitute. The people of Gaza were told, hey, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. Now, these are Philistines. Do you think that they have forgotten the havoc that he has caused on them? Probably not. And so they're ready to kill him. But what does Samson do? Before they even gather around to kill him, he leaves at midnight. And at midnight, he takes something with him. He decides that he's going to take the city gate, posts and all, pulls them right up out of the ground, right out of the wall. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do that before. Remember, superhuman strength. Throws it on his back, walks 40 miles, 40 miles Puts down the gate in the post so that it faces Hebron, the place that he was living, a place of strength. And we'll get into that another time. But he puts them on his shoulders and he carries them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Maybe it's not 40 miles, but you get the idea. Now, this is where the story takes a turn and the beginning of Samson's demise begins. If you know the story of Samson, you've heard this before. If you don't know it, you've probably heard this before. He meets the prettiest girl that he's ever seen. And he says, I'm going to make her my wife. And she goes by the name Delilah. And Delilah, we don't really know her response, but we know that the Philistine leaders can tell that Samson is quite interested. And they say to Delilah, you do whatever he wants and you find the secret to his strength and we're going to pay you over a 1,000 or 1,100 shekels of silver each. Why don't we read from the Bible? This is what it says. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you came to be tied and subdued And Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with any gunneries, he goes in the list. You can read it. He lies to her three times. If you do this, my strength will be gone. And so she tests it out. And so she ties him up and calls the Philistines and he breaks free and he kills them. So he tells her another lie. and She does that. And the third lie. And again, finally, she's able to convince him. Samson, we've been around the block a few times. You have proven to me that you are special. And she begins to woo him with her beauty, and she begins to do the things that, that she wants to do to be able to get the information that he needs. And so finally she convinces him, Samson, what's the secret to your strength? You've done all of these things. You've lied to me. It's time to tell me the truth. Now remember, he has taken, rather his parents have committed to him. What's, what's interesting about this is that a Nazarite would typically make that decision themselves. They would make that covenant, that they will refrain from alcohol, that they would never cut their hair, that they would be nowhere near anything unclean. And yet, we see the faithfulness of his parents actually make this vow for him. So he's never really given a choice in the matter. But of all the ways that he has defiled his Nazarite vow, he has never cut his hair. And he says to her, if you cut my hair, then surely I will lose my strength. And so she woos him to sleep and puts his head in her lap. And when he finally falls into a deep sleep, she calls the Philistines and they come and they shave his head clean. When they are done, she says, Samson, Samson, get up. The Philistines are coming. He goes up to fight them and he finds out that the spirit of God has left him and he no longer has the strength that he once had. And they take him captive. They bind him up and they put him in jail and they celebrate. They decide to throw a huge party and they take Samson all tied up and they, 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 they take out his two eyes and they mock him, they make fun of him, they subdue him, they do all of these things. And they begin to party and they end up in their temple. And in the temple, they have all the leaders of the Philistines gathered there. They have thousands of people to celebrate. They have finally defeated the strength of Samson. And they decide to mock him. And they say to the servant, hey, go get him. Let's bring him out. Let's show him off. Let's, let's just mock him more together. And so the servant goes. They pull Samson. He's all tied up. He has no eyes. And in this moment, Samson's being paraded around the room. And he says to the servant that has him, he says, Lean me up against that pillar that I can stand on my own and, and just leave me here to be mocked and, and, and just sitting here in this moment. And something interesting happens that we haven't seen before take place in Samson's life, at least in the recording that we read. And in verse 28 of chapter 16, this is what Samson begins to do. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord. Remember, he's arrogant. He is selfish, he's violent, he's deceitful. And in this moment, we see it, it took him going through hell on earth to finally have an ounce of humility, to realize that his strength really did come from God. That in this moment, he can no longer mock God, that he's his last hope and strength. And by the grace of God, he answers Samson. This is what he says. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Verse 29. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and came down the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And here is one of the most significant moments of Samson's story. It says, thus, he killed many more when he died than when he had even lived. He did more through his death than he ever could have in the life that he lived. He did more in his death because in that moment, he had finally humbled himself. He finally became a servant of the Lord. He finally realized that his supernatural human strength, although he was told it was from God and deep in his own heart and mind, he he just truly forgot where it came from, I believe. He got so caught up in himself. He says, I'm a disruptor. This is what I've come to do. And yet he still did what was right in his own eyes. He did what pleased him physically instead of doing what was right in God's eyes. Samson himself is the prime example of who Israel has become. They have done things that are right in their own eyes. They started living by whatever feels good, do it. I see that. I want that. I get to have it. I get to do it. And the majority of them go and they agree that that's okay. And they find themselves separated from God. Samson's sins finally catch up with him. And he finally goes and realizes that he desperately needs God to intervene. Or the Israelites will forever be, now. and this is in his mind, they will forever be oppressed by the Philistines. And there is no value left in his life. Unless God intervenes, there is no value left in his life. There's no reason for him to live should God not intervene. And he says to God, look, I am willing to give up my life. I am willing to give up myself for you to do what you need to do to defeat this enemy once and for all. And in this moment of humility, God's spirit comes upon him again. The supernatural power of God moves and he destroys the enemy. Now, we know that the Philistines appear much later in the story of Israel. In fact, there's a young boy who kills a rather large, strong, fierce-looking Philistine named Goliath. And that young boy, of course, becomes King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. It's kind of an irony of events. The Philistines are defeated by the strongest man in Israel. And so they're at war again with the Philistines. And the Philistines said, hey, we got an idea. Why don't we give you our strongest man? You said it, your strongest man. And whoever wins that battle wins the war. Kind of an interesting turn of events in that moment. They're trying to get revenge probably on this moment. But Samson finally realizes that no matter what, he'll never fulfill his purpose unless he submits to God's will and authority. And it's not until he hits rock bottom Yet we go back to chapter 13, verse uh, in the first part of the story, and we see his parents had every good intention for him. They said to the angel, What must we do for our son to fulfill the purpose that you've called him to? What must we do? And they try to set him up for success, and yet Samson makes the choices for himself. And he begins to defile the things of the Lord. He begins to disobey and, and not bring honor to his parents. He just does whatever he wants to do. It's such a mirror of where Israel is at, and in so many in our own lives, we all, it tells us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. My prayer is that no matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, and maybe you're watching this today, and I would say no matter what it is you're doing, there is hope for you to turn things around. There is hope for you for God to do something through your weakness. Because that is our punchline today, is that God is not limited by your weakness. It doesn't matter that Samson was promiscuous, he was violent, he was arrogant, he was deceitful. God was able to work with that. God was able to use that, because God is not limited by our weaknesses. We started the message off talking about how some of the judges, they are not role models for us to, to follow their example by any means. And yet God again and again and again and again is willing to use whoever he has to to fulfill his plans. He's willing to use unlikely people to fulfill his great and mighty plans. Which means no matter where you find yourself today, God is really willing and ready to extend his hand to you to pull you out of your darkness, to pull you out of your situation, to pull you out of your sin. God is really ready and waiting for you and he's just waiting for us to take that first step now we fast forward we know that god has sent his son jesus he's already taken that first step of love toward us he's already extended his hand all we got to do is reach out and take his hand and we'll be ready and willing to do what god has called us to do my prayer for you My prayer for us we pray for our church and our community is that we would discover the truth of what God wants us to do according to his laws and his rules. Not what feels good, not what looks good, not whatever, whatever one else, what everyone else says is good. My prayer is that we would look to God for our direction, that we would continue to lean on him for our strength. Especially in times like these where there just seems to be confusion of what truth is. There seems to be confusion of what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what is bad. My prayer is that we would do what is right in God's eyes and we would allow God to do what God does because only Father God is our deliverer of freedom. Remember, the freedom that he offers us is not to harm us. It is not to limit us. It is not to make it feel like we're stuck captive because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Would you take a few minutes today, would you take a few minutes this week and say, Spirit of God, would you come upon me so that I can experience the freedom that you offer me? Would you take a few minutes and say, Spirit of God, Sovereign Lord, would you reveal yourself to me so that I may walk in freedom, that I may walk in the truth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all those that are watching in this moment. I pray that we would know, Lord, your sound of your voice. We would know the good things of God when we see them. God, I pray that you would fill us, O Lord, with your love and with your spirit today. Would you pour out your spirit on us so that we would clearly see the strength of who you are in our own lives. Lord, would you use us to deliver others, Lord, from evil. To deliver others, O God, would you help us point them to you, Jesus, our true deliverer, our true savior. But Lord, in spite of our weaknesses, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength from above. You would give us strength through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you've called us to be your hands and your feet as people who have chosen to follow you, Jesus. Would you take these hands, would you take these feet, O God, and would you use us to lead people to hope and to freedom today? Lord, if we have become too comfortable in our sin, we've been too comfortable, oh God, with the status quo, Lord, would you bring a disruption now, I pray. Lord, as, as challenging, as uncomfortable, and maybe even undesirable as that is, I pray that you would bring a disruption, O oh God, to our lives. That it would align us, O oh God, with your ways above our ways. Lord, may we set our minds on the things of God. For whatever is good, for whatever is noble, for whatever is pure, for whatever is lovely, and for whatever is right, would you set our eyes and our mind on things above not on things of this earth. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have. And I know and believe today that where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And so Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to come now in this moment. We invite your Holy Spirit to fill us, O God, to deliver us into freedom, to move us from darkness to life, to move us from death to life, O God. I pray in your holy name, amen.